0: Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's guest is Chris Collins, a member of the Life, Health, Disability, and ERISA litigation group. Chris's practice focuses on life and health insurance matters with a concentration on disability income insurance. You may think that this doesn't apply to you, but you may be very wrong. <laughs> Chris, uh, good morning to you. Good
1: morning, Howard. Great to be here today. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, well, so I guess the first thing is, tell me about the life, health, disability, ERISA litigation practice group at Myrick, and also, if you wouldn't mind, what ERISA is.
1: Sure. Well, let me let me start with the group. There's a group of five lawyers. Uh, <clears throat> we're kind of a subset practice group within the litigation uh, group at Myrick, and five of us concentrate, or at least part of our practices, uh, representing life and health insurers, uh, most of whom have business in all 50 states, but sell lots of insurance in the New England states where we all practice. And many of us have been at it for more than 30 years, so it's quite an experienced group. And uh, not only do we spend a lot of time representing insurers, but we try to give back to the industry as well with uh, thought papers and things that advance the learnings within the industry. ERISA, well, the ERISA is (laughs) is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. It actually has really kind of a fascinating background. It was passed by Congress in 1974, and it really has its origins if uh, you're a a student of uh, auto manufacturers in the United States. It, it has its origins in the closing of the Studebaker plant uh, and Studebaker going bankrupt back in the mid-1960s. Wow! And uh, if you've ever visited South Bend, Indiana, um, you can see what happens when a company town turns into a, a ghost town overnight. I mean, it's, it's kind of a place that's kind of locked in that history of Studebaker. But the sad thing that happened when that bankruptcy occurred is that thousands of people who worked at Studebaker, some who were already on their pension retirement, lost them um, or lost almost all of the pension guarantees that had been made by the company. And there was no law that really required companies to insure those uh, funds or to have fiduciary duties towards the people that they had set aside funds for. And so they evaporated. and It became a big national interest story, such that Congress finally got motivated um, to pass this act, which has put in place a lot of protections for employees who are provided benefits uh, at the workplace through their employers, and it and it creates duties by those employers, both you know as planned administrators and on insurance companies as claims administrators in the way they treat those plans. And as a result of ERISA, I mean, if you look back at the history of how many employers actually provided benefits at the workplace in the 1970s compared to the number of employers that do it today, it, it has exploded. You know, if you look back in the 1970s, 60s, maybe 40 million people had benefits that they got at the workplace. And today it's, it's more like 160 million employees who work in our economy get benefits at the workplace of some kind, whether they're pension benefits, 401K benefits, health insurance, disability, life insurance. Um, most most folks end up getting those types of benefits at the workplace. And I would give ERISA big credit for making that happen because it, it provides protection for both employers and employees,
0: You know, you could say that Studebaker's demise, because that's the poster child, so to speak, for cars that just didn't make it, actually had a really positive impact. You could kind of say in a slightly twisted way uh, for those folks who need income security. Yeah. So, what types of clients do you represent in your practice?
1: Yeah. So, like I said, most of our clients are national life and health insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they're large organizations. That, like I said, they typically do business in all 50 states. Um, our our practice is a regional practice. So, you know, we have cases in Massachusetts mostly, but in New Hampshire and Rhode Island and Connecticut, where folks in our practice group uh, are licensed to practice. We'd We'd love to expand that portfolio and do cases in more jurisdictions and you know when you think of these younger lawyers who are getting their law license now they're they're no longer just getting a license to practice in a single jurisdiction the the new way of taking the bar exam gives them a lot more options to practice in in multiple jurisdictions and and you know i would say that's a trend in the life and health insurance industry where you see lawyers who might be located in you know a place like wister representing insurers in multiple, multiple jurisdictions. That's, And I think it will be easier for the younger lawyers to be able to, you know, kind of graft onto that trend that was already taking shape.
0: Now, how have your clients been impacted by this whole COVID-19 pandemic?
1: You know, I, I would say in a number of ways. First, I would say that most of the big companies that we represent were already kind of on a path toward a digital transformation and had, had done a lot of advanced planning on what it would be like to have people working remotely. So I would say operationally, things have gone pretty smoothly. People transitioned to a work from home environment and really major, these are multi-billion dollar companies with millions of customers. They were able to do that pretty easily because of all that kind of advanced planning that's been going on for years. I would say the places that it's impacted them though, is that it's it's probably on the sales front has had a huge impact. And then interest rate environment, which is getting lower and lower all the time, is not good for the life and health insurance industry because, you know, a lot of their revenue comes from reserves that they've set aside that they make interest on. And as interest rates get lower, interest rates on bonds that they invest in get lower too. And it's harder to get returns. Right. And there's only so much... Increase in pricing you can do on premiums to make up for that. So that's been a a real sore spot for the industry. And this pandemic hasn't certainly hasn't helped. Interest rates they're as low as they've ever been. The other thing I would say is that a lot of the regulatory bodies that regulate the industry have been putting in place either formal regulations or bulletins, and and some are just guidance or you know they're aspirational in the sense that. Insurers should work with their customers not to be too strict regarding grace periods and premium payments um, during the pandemic to give people a little extra time to make a premium payment when it comes due. Um, in fact, the Department of Labor, which regulates ERISA, came out with some guidelines on both the timing for filing claims and the timing to make appeals on denied claims. They've extended those deadlines for. Um, you know, at least 60 days during this pandemic environment. So they've given some additional time for folks to comply with some of these deadlines that you find within ERISA. It's had those kind of impacts.
0: Sure. What would be a typical case or phone call you would get from one of your clients, something that you'd need to deal with right away?
1: Yeah, I would say most of the calls that we get aren't things that are emergencies. I mean, that can happen from time to time if somebody goes into court to try to enjoin the company from doing something. But that's that's more of a rarity. I would say the the, most of the cases that we get are cases where someone's claim has been challenged, whether it's a life claim or disability claim. Um, And there's been a denial and and they're obviously disappointed and they file a lawsuit. And will defend the companies uh, in those cases, but that would be the, the most prominent case. But you know, there there are always outliers and times where there are things that are more emergent where we have to kind of shift into gear real quickly.
0: How has the limited access to the courthouses affected your? day-to-day work.
1: I would say in a couple of ways I know Joe had some trials that were were scheduled in state court and there's really no jury trials happening uh, either in state or federal court right now. That'll probably be the last thing to come online. Although I will say that, you know, the federal courts, everything in federal court now is electronic. So all of the filings for a while have been filed through what they call their ECF system. Right. And that's continued on without any interruption whatsoever. If you have a motion to file and serve, all of it's done electronically. And so that's that's been really smooth. The, the state courts have been a little bit slower to adopt the electronic filing system, although some of the courts are starting to come online, the Mr. Superior Court, Middlesex Superior Court, are starting to develop that muscle of having electronic filing systems. Um, there's been a, lots of hearings, there's lots of reports of lawyers uh, in our practice group um, attending hearings through telephonic means. Um, so those, those types of things are, have gone on. I, I don't know of anyone that's tried a case telephonically yet, but the courts are doing, I would say, a really admirable job in accelerating things that were already underway Because, you know, we've all thought that if you have some kind of judicial proceeding going on, you need to come to a physical courthouse to address that issue. And the courts, I think, are acknowledging that maybe that's not the way we need to be going forward, that we can be a little bit more flexible about administering justice, but not requiring people physically to be in a courthouse because it puts a lot of burden on people to get there, to get into a courthouse to so sometimes wait for other cases to be heard while you're just, you know, sitting cooling your heels. And that adds expense for everyone. And I and I think the courts are realizing that in the world that we've all developed that is so much capability in transmitting ideas electronically that you don't uh, you don't have to be physically present in a courthouse to get true administration of justice. So we'll we'll see. I mean we're we're seeing this throughout this whole thing about how the pandemic has really caused the acceleration in thinking of all things digital. And and the courts aren't going to be an exception to that.
0: Just turning a little bit to personal side of your career, because you've been at this for quite a while, and you're so, and you started when you were the age of five. It's amazing, but uh, it's just you were you were a, a true prodigy. But what do you find, in all seriousness, what do you find most interesting about your practice in health, disability, life insurance, and ERISA?
1: You know, I'm not, I'm not sure it would be that much different from other lawyers. But I mean, here's the thing about the practice of law, especially in litigation: every case has its own unique story. And they are as different as the people who are involved in the case. And, you know, human beings have just an infinite variety of who they are, what their issues are, and it's true within this practice group. I've never seen two cases. They could be the the same exact disability, the same exact profession that the person's engaged in, and yet the case will take its own unique path. And so I, I love the variety of it. I'm, you know, when you're in law school and we still traditionally teach, you know, young lawyers through the case method, you realize that every single case involved human beings that had some kind of a difference and they availed themselves of our courts to resolve those differences. And it's a hallmark of, you know, our country that we have a system like this where people can peaceably resolve disputes. It. To me, it's the thing that separates us from most of the world because of our judicial system. And I don't think it gets enough credit for building the type of economy that we have, because we have an economy that that has that valve on it, where if people have disputes, even with a relatively poor person, can take on a large, wealthy organization in a court of law and get their day in court uh, on a place where, you know, justice, truly blind, level playing field, Um, This this happens in our country, and it doesn't happen in other parts of the world. So that's what I love. it. It's broader than just our practice group, but I would say within our practice group, the cases are, every one of them, unique to me, every one of them fascinating. And like you said, I've been at this for 36 years, and I still feel that today when I get a new matter, and I'm like, wow, I've never seen this coming, you know, this... This unique issue, and, and it's true of almost every case.
0: Well, that's so true, particularly considering when some people hear the term insurance, you know, their eyes glaze over. However, there's a reason why an insurer was brought in. There's a whole story behind an insurance claim, and every story is different and involves a different set of uh, people, characters, and uh, there's a story behind every one of them.
1: amen amen to that. I'll give just a little plug to the industry itself. You
0: know,
1: (laughs) we're talking about how life and disability insurance can be boring. I mean, one of the unique things, and this is another thing that's unique about where we have the benefit to live, you know, life and health insurance and disability insurance in probably most of the world, doesn't even exist. I mean, it's it's a benefit that we have in, in living in the first world that we have these kind of protections that we can avail ourselves to. And you know, I I remember when I first started practicing in the business. I worked at the Paul Revere Life Insurance Company, which is a great Worcester company. See? This one of the agents at the company. He he told me his technique for selling disability insurance. He would he would turn over his business card on the blank side. And he'd hand it to a customer and say, "Write down the name of the person that's going to pay your income if you're disabled and you can't work." And they'd go, "Well, I don't, I don't have any." And then he would flip the card back over and he'd say, he'd point to the name, the part of life insurance company, and say, "That's who." And, wow. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a pretty good sales technique. But you know, even with that, in the industry, it's uh, probably getting close to a hundred years old. The disability industry, unlike the life insurance industry, only thirty percent of working Americans have disability insurance, and it's kind of like the stepchild it's probably the most important insurance you can own and i and and you know one of maybe the silver linings in this pandemic, you know people realize that lots of different things can put them out of work, something you know an unknown virus like this can come and hit you and disable you. And how do you replace your income? You know, the government isn't always going to be there to just pass a trillion dollar bill to hand out across the the country. That's, you know, that's these extraordinary circumstances that happens. But most of the time when people fall to an illness, you know, they become a burden on their families. And and that's why this insurance is so important. That's, you know, that's one of the things that charges me up about it to be involved in. You know, product lines that, like this that really provide important safety net for people who live in this country. It's, it's, a, it's a great industry and a great product, and just have always enjoyed being part of it.
0: That business card technique, the sales technique, hmm, that's very effective, at least on me. <laughs> I even started thinking about <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm going to go make a call Sorry, after this. 80%. but uh, I'm going to send an agent. <laughs> that's right, yeah. But, you know, we need to maintain social distancing, but, but that's okay. So <laughs> um, what changes have you seen in, in the biz?
1: Yeah, we talked about a little bit earlier. I mean, this digital transformation is huge. You know, when I first came to Parivier back in the early 80s, everything was on paper. I mean, the claim files would be these stacks of thousands of pieces of paper. And now when you go into a claim Disability Benefits Specialist Office, there's no paper at all. Everything's electronic. And insurance is being issued more through electronic means now, too. So the, the paper intensity, and there used to be thousands of people working in the industry who were basically just moving paper around and putting it in and out of files and copying it. And, and, and now it's all done electronically. And that, that evolution is going to continue to happen until companies are 100% digital. Um, There just is not going to be paper. Everything is going to be delivered through electronic means. So So I would say that that's probably been the biggest thing. And then the other thing we talked about, interest rates, this low interest rate environment that we've been in since the 2007-2008 financial crisis has been a huge, huge burden on the industry. Um, I'm hopeful that at some point we come out of it. But this pandemic uh, put us right back into that soup again. And while low interest rates are great for some aspects of the economy, they're just not good for the insurance industry. And it's it's a real burden that uh, they've been trying to to manage their way through. So that I'd say that's that's a big change. And then there's been tons of mergers and consolidations within this industry. And I think. The digital transformation was part of that. You just don't need as many companies to serve many, many more people than they were capable of serving in the past just because of the ease of getting to thousands and thousands of people through digital means. So it's it's really, I think, accelerated that, that merger environment.
0: You've really done a great job, Chris, uh, really for me personally and I hope for the listeners. Making the issue of insurance all types and ERISA which stands for the Employee Retirement Income Security Act kind of come alive.
1: You know, we we wake up every morning and one of the other things about this pandemic there's so much that we take for granted and the safety net that's been built by this industry over the last, you know, 150 plus years is is really a, such a great benefit that we can all share in. And and you can do it Fairly inexpensively, too. There's lots of ways to be able to protect your income and and, and to buy life insurance in ways that are just not that expensive.
0: We want to thank you, Chris Collins, who's an attorney at Myrick O'Connell, and he has been our guest today. He's a member of the Life Health Disability, and now we know what this stands for, ERISA, ERISA Litigation Group. Chris's practice focuses on life and health insurance matters with a concentration on disability income insurance. Thank you for joining us today, Chris.
1: Howard, it's been a pleasure.
0: How can folks contact you if they have questions or concerns in this area?
1: Uh, our location is 100 Front Street in Worcester, Massachusetts, and uh, you're free to free to call us there. You can access us pretty easily on the on the web. So, MarkOConnell.com, and uh, you can get to any one of the lawyers through their direct dial numbers that are prominently posted on the internet. So. Hope to hear from folks, and thanks so much for having us again today, Howard.
0: Thank you, Chris. I'm Howard Kaplan on behalf of Myrick O'Connell and Attorney Chris Collins. Thanks for joining us. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court.